Hello, everyone. This is Mish Hancock, and you're listening to Mishmash, where I get to talk to the weird, wacky, and wonderful people of this world. Uh, many times people that I adore and want to learn more about. And today we have a person that I really adore. Her name is Maria Rogers O'Rourke. She is a strategic thinker and gifted communicator in promoting mission-focused organizations. She's a collaborative team leader and inspiring mentor an amazing writer. Uh, she's been on Huffington Post. She's got a couple of awesome books that she has penned. Maria, welcome. Thank you, Mish. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, I'm so happy that you're here too. You have no idea. You are one of those people that I find to be outrageously talented, yet so humble about it at the same time. Oh my gosh. Thank you. <laughs> but it's true. Can we replay that, run that back and I can hear that again? Thank so you. So coming from you, that is really something. Oh Thank you my so gosh. much. No kidding. I mean, you're writing. You have such a way with writing that I, I, you really get at the emotion, which is I, very difficult for people to do, to get to that emotion. It's like TV shows. You, know, you watch these TV shows, and if you can't connect with the character, you don't care. You're like, at some point, can aliens come down and blow everybody up? Because I just really don't care about these people. Isn't that true? You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, but with what you do when you write, you really, really make that connection. Is that just natural to you? Oh, thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. Because that's my goal, but I don't, I wouldn't say goal in the sense that I'm like striving toward it. You know what I mean? I think what I what I want to do, what I try to do is just to make that real human connection, you know, right? that I think no matter what our walk of life is, we have common experiences that we all share. You know, we all have people that we love. We all have disappointments in life. We all have to do some form of work to sustain ourselves. Yes. You know, we meet challenges and we find great beauty in life too. And so I just offer reflections on where those things hit me. And one of the most gratifying things in my work is when someone says to me, oh, man, you nailed it. You wrote that just for me. And this might be somebody that I've met for the first time, you know. Oh, how cool. And so to know that out on some plane, you know, we're connecting in a way that is meaningful, that's, to me, that's, that's the most gratifying part of my writing. And how often, I mean, do you write every day or how often do you write? I do. I write every day. Years ago, I did a process by Julia Cameron called The Artist's Way, which I highly recommend for anyone who considers themselves a creative, but they really don't know how to express it in their right. lives. You know, And one of the tools she gives is called Morning Pages. And with Morning Pages, you get up in the morning and you just stream of consciousness, whatever is on your mind when you wake up, you just dump it out on the page. And it's kind of like getting rid of the static so you can tune into the signal, you know? What an interesting idea. Mm -hmm. and, and and it's so, because I've done like just where I just write sometimes because there's crap going on in my head that yeah. I got to get out. You right. know, it's like better to get it out on paper than somewhere else. But um, But when you do that, it's almost like, it's like your brain is behaving on its own. Mm -hmm. It's a weird, weird feeling. Yes. But this is kind of like a way to just, before I start my day, I'm just going to dump this all, dump the junk, and just say what I need to say, and then I can move on. Right. And those pages are just for you. They're not for anybody else to read. Right. And so you can be totally honest. You get it out of your system. You know, every so often, like I'll keep a little notebook of morning pages, and every so often I just burn that notebook, and it's kind of like this offering of like, there it goes. There, I'm letting it go. I don't have to carry that yeah, anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. So what comes out in the pages might not necessarily end up being something that I would publish, but the process of doing the pages 
germinates the idea. Exactly. I mean, do you ever just have you ever written something and just stopped and went, "Whoa, this is an insight that I I, I need to hold on to." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have. Um, a good friend of mine and one of my writing mentors, a woman named Laura Munson, she hosts retreats for writers. Okay. And I've been on a couple of the retreats, and it seemed like every time I went on retreat with her, a song came up within the within the course of the retreat. Right. You know, not a new song, but just organically within the group. Like one time the song was Dancing Queen by ABBA, you know. <laughs> How crazy is that? Yeah. You know? But I mean, it came up just spontaneously one night when we were uh, relaxing and it like became the anthem for our group, you know, and after the retreat was over, we all went back to our little corners of the world. But that song brings us all back together, you know. Right. And every time you hear it, it brings you to that moment, which yeah. is so cool. Exactly. Yeah. So Laura said to me, why don't you write, put together a playlist of songs And I wound up with this list of like 18 songs, and I had the most fun writing that. And when I wrote my little blurb to accompany each song's, you know, a little description of why this song was on the list, I had moments like you described, like, boom, this is really good. You know, <laughs> no, you know, it's like I really articulated why that song was so important to me. Oh, you know? how cool. And then, like I said earlier, to have people come back to me and say, wow, I listened to that song. And yeah, that said that to me too. You know, I mean, I there's just it. that kind of connection is just priceless. And I think is part of the beauty of our human experience. Well, and that you could take this art form, a song, and then talk about it in the written form, like what did, so was there, um, name one of the songs, name one of the songs and, and, and what it meant to you. Well, let's see. One of the ones that I really loved was, uh, Joan Osborne did a cover of Gary Wright's My Love is Alive. Okay. And it is so funky and badass. <laughs> I mean, she just lays it down, you know, <laughs> and there's a line in the very first, um, lyric of that where he says, uh, I've been only half of what I am. I love it. You know, so there he's reflecting on his life. I've been only half of what I am. It's all clear to me now. My heart is on fire. My soul's like a wheel that's turning. My love is alive. And for me, that connected with the creative process that when you latch onto that idea, the energy behind that is so exciting. And it's like, all this potential, all these new worlds open up in that moment. And you have to be willing to be courageous as well, because sometimes you're just, you're putting something out there and you're like, wow, this is me. And it's like, okay, I'm kind of naked right now and I'm going to put this out there. And it's, what always amazes me is when you're really authentic with what you're doing, people love it. Yes. They just love it. Yes. And so it's okay to be authentic and to be who you really are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that's a great realization for anyone to come to. It's like, you're you're okay. Just You don't have to pretend to be anything else. And you can actually go outside a little bit of that comfort zone and show off a little bit more. And people actually will love you yes. for that. Yes. Well, unless you're a serial killer. You know? <laughs> yeah, let's not go They won't there, like that. Right? It's like, stop that. No, you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, in our culture, we put so much energy into how we look and how we appear to each other. And there's a, you know, we put a lot of value in appearing to be strong and in control. And the truth is we're not. So not. Yeah. You're not, you're, you're, you're in control 
of, well, they say you're in control of yourself and your emotions, but sometimes I think mine are out of control. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just, I can't help that. Right, right. <laughs> I'm really, really this way right now, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. So I think that when that, you know, when we drop the guard and we're willing to share from that authentic self that you're talking about, that resonates with people because they think, oh, somebody said what I'm thinking or what I've been feeling. Yeah, and it's okay. It's like normal to feel that way. Yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to take a quick break and be back with Maria in just a moment. Get raw with chaos on Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m. at studiocradio.com. We're back on Mishmash. We are talking with Maria Rogers O'Rourke, an amazing writer. We were talking about writing. What now? How did this come about? That uh, the Huffington Post. How did that happen? Oh, it was a wonderful thing. I had an opportunity to co-author a piece with my dear friend and a wonderfully talented lady, Jane Unger. Okay. And we wrote a piece together about um, what happens when you turn Christmas over to the kids. <laughs> and it was just, Jane was just so brilliant with it. She brought in these movie references, and it was just a really delightful piece. And I told an actual story about my daughter, Katie, decorating our tree by herself when she was about seven years old. Now, before they send out the family services to me about why I let a seven-year-old decorate the tree by herself... Um, <laughs> I'll just cut to the chase and say, uh, I was in a meeting, my husband was out of town on business, and she was home with my, um, at the time, teenage older daughter, who, of course, big sister didn't want anything to do with the kid's sister, and we had put the tree up and left it tantalizingly (laughs) undecorated, so the seven-year-old just went crazy, and she called me and said, Mom, could I please decorate the tree? And so I said, well, okay, put up some ornaments, and I'll help you with the rest when I get home. And when I arrived at home, every ornament that we owned was on that tree. You know, like yeah. now you always have some that are kind of left in the bottom of the box and maybe don't make right. the cut. They don't get on the tree. We got them all. All. And it was so adorable. She had pulled a stepladder in to help herself on the tree, but she still couldn't reach the top of it. So the top, about 18 inches of the tree, were, was empty. <laughs> That's what I'm going to ask. Was, was, <laughs> were they all at the bottom? <laughs> yes. Like, you just, the top, uh, we, this is our new look. <laughs> and she, and not only that, but she had grouped the ornaments together. Like, all the angels were in one cluster, and all the candy canes oh, were in another. very organized. And very organized, yes. Yeah, so... It was the most beautiful tree I had ever seen when I got home. It was just wonderful. So anyway, Jane helped me craft this wonderful piece about it. And our theme was, <laughs> let the kids in. You know, Absolutely. don't control the holiday. Let them do their part. And you just these wonderful memories will emerge. It's so true. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, because, I mean, I remember one time I had my daughter decorated um, a table in her room. <laughs> you know, it was painted white and then she, you know, got a hold of some markers and she decorated it. And, and you walk in and you're like, <gasps> you know, you're like, oh my gosh, you know. And I went, <gasps> and she just looked at me and she goes, now it's so pretty. Mm. And I'm like, you're right. Yes. It is gorgeous. Next time, talk to mommy ahead of time though, just so we can kind of discuss. But I really like this one. I really like this. You know, I didn't, I couldn't get upset with her because the intent behind it wasn't malice. It was right. just, I'm a kid. Oh yeah. I got a hold of the markers. Oh, I know. what I did. I know. And I mean, I have to admit when Katie called me and said, can I decorate the tree? You know, 
forgive me, oh, but my first thought was, what is that going to look gonna like? Look? You know, <laughs> what am I coming home to? <laughs> right, right. You know, but again, like you, you know, I said, well, you know, let her have some space, let her do this. I also knew she was going to have, you know, an hour or two on her own, on her own. You know, I mean, her sister was there, but you know what I mean, just right. kind of creating her own thing. So I thought, well. What the heck? What the well, and and honestly, you know, this is a great segue into one of your books, right? Because I I think that if we try to what we in our head what we think is perfect, you know, yes. the perfectly decorated Christmas tree, um, when what a child thinks is perfect, you know, which really it's what the child does is awesome, mm-hmm. and and you have an, a book all about being a mom. About t- tell us about that. Yes, yes. Well, you know, one of my favorite stories that I tell in the book was actually came from my mother in law, and my husband is one of five children, and only one girl. The youngest is the girl, mm-hmm. and so when the girl Cheryl was about three or four years old, she came crying to her mom, and said, "The boys are teasing me, mom. Please tell them to quit teasing me." And her mom said, well, you know, it's not that they're teasing you. It's just that they love you so much. <laughs> Did your mom ever say that to you? I've heard, <laughs> well, no, I've heard that one before. Yeah. yeah, right. And, uh, I've heard it before, right. though. And so little Cheryl replies, well, then tell him to stop loving me so much. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true, I know, though. you know, I mean, the kids are so wise that way. You know, I mean, what a great story, you know. And so that <laughs> I'm was... I'm not a- digging this love. <laughs> His love exactly. is not working for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you kind of worry too, like when she when she gets older, you know, every guy that teases her, she'll be like, he loves me. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, he, he says all these crazy things to me at work, but boy, does he dig me. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, but think about what you might be setting him up Isn't for. Isn't <laughs> that the truth? I know, I know. So I had the nerve to write a, mo- a book about being a mom, you know, that I could actually say, here's some wisdom about it because who knows what we're doing to our kids <laughs> with the things that we say. Well, you know, you know I work worry about because my daughter's very athletic and um and she does this competitive cheer yes and you know i one i remember one time she was she was it was some something with history and it was one of these tribes from way back and they did weird things they put weird things on their neck to stretch them out or something like that she goes look at mom this is so weird i mean it's so weird that they did this to themselves i'm like okay i'm gonna tell you something right now there are stuff we're doing right now that people are going to look back in history and go, very strange. And I have this vision of future people looking at videos of these competitive cheerleading things and going, hey, look at what these crazy-ass parents let their kids do. <laughs> you know, I have I yes. like this, I just see this as something that mm-hmm. may happen someday. Because yes. what we think is okay now, it makes sense to us. Sure. You know, and I'm sure, I mean... It, as parents, you're doing the best you can. That's right. That's, that's what right. we're doing. Yeah. The so, best we can yeah, with what so, we got to work with right now. Yes. So know? can you imagine my dear mother-in-law, Doris, with those four boys running around, teasing the heck out of their little sister? How do you, <laughs> you know, how do you handle that? What do you do? And that's such a big brother thing to do, right? Oh, yeah. You know? It's so, like normal. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. So anyway, but that's part of the reason that I wrote the book is that it's a, it's a series of daily reflections for mom, and they're really short, and there's a little journal page adjacent to it. And it's just a, a means by which mom can take a little break during the day yeah. and reflect on what she's doing and kind of get the big picture again. And what a cool keepsake. Yeah. You know, to be able to look look back at and like and when your kids have kids to say, here, mm-hmm. 
you know, but don't read page 25 because I was really <laughs> mad at you that day. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> I know I worked with a woman once who uh, would reflect on when her kids were younger. They were grown by the time we worked together. But she said, you know, I would lock myself in the bathroom and I figured that gave me about 45 minutes before they found me. <laughs> right, right, right. So again, here's a lady just doing the best she could, you know, trying to create some space for herself. And I think all moms need that. And by nature, we just want to give and be available for our kids, and we do that to the point of exhaustion. Yeah, and we do. I just think it's really important to remind each other as moms, you need a break. Yeah. Take a break, you know, and it's just like the old, you know, this is so, is so, this story is so often told, but it's so true that, you know, on the airplane, they say, put your own mask on before you help anybody else that you're with. Exactly. And that's so true in our lives. Put your oxygen. Yeah, you're right. No, and it's true. I mean, because it's, sometimes it's hard. We think of the child comes first, the child comes first, the child. But, you know, it's that whole thing of put yourself first, mm -hmm. and then then you're in a much better space. Exactly. To be able to give to everybody else. Yes. You know? Yes. And, and it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. it, when they're Especially when they're little, you kind of forget as they get older. That when you when they get older, you're just worrying a lot. <laughs> right, like, oh right. Oh my gosh, what are you going to do? Yeah. You know, please be careful. Be careful when you're driving the car. Be careful when you're doing this, you know. Yes. But um but when they're little there it's a lot. I mean, you're you're working a lot. Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm you can lose yourself yes. in it. Yes. Yeah. Well, we are going to take a quick break. We will be back with Maria in just a moment. This is Kat with Cat's Closet Radio. Tune in at 11 to hear about fashion advice, honest beauty opinions, fresh business perspective, and insight to the startup scene. For more information, you can check out my bio. And we are back on Mishmash with Maria Rogers O'Rourke. Now, this is an interesting time in my segment where I get to ask you kind of funky questions. Okay. You know, just, just fun and make them your own. Make them, right. make them your own, but but they're pretty easy. Um, the first one I have for you, let's let's pretend like you could have a writer's studio anywhere in the world with whatever view you wanted. What would it be? Mm, the ocean. Oh, gosh. I'm so, yeah, I'm with you on this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, whenever I have to like go to a happy place or I'm guided meditation or something like that, I always end up in the beachfront house with... The, the panoramic right glass wall, you know, the one <laughs> wall that's just all glass and walk down and put my feet in the sand. Yeah, I love it. What is it about be. the ocean? Because oh. there's certain people, and I'm one of them, that I feel called to go to the ocean mm -hmm. every once in a while. Mm -hmm. Something about that. I mean, I live right on a lake. I mean, I love the lake. Yes. But it's not the ocean. Right. Right. Yeah. I think there's something that really connects you into the earth cycle. And I know that sounds a little woo-woo, but I mean, you know, with, for the woo -woo. you know, where the tide is moving in and out. Exactly. And the sound of the waves and the air, the fresh air that comes in. And it's just so, for me, it's just so soothing. It's one of, it's, that's one thing. I can snorkel for hours on end because there's just something about just being there floating in the water and seeing this. I mean, I, I, I the first time I went snorkeling is I was on my honeymoon and and Dan had been snorkeling before, but I had never been snorkeling before. And he was just like, just, you know, I, I, I just remember putting the mask on and looking down and being like, oh, I, I couldn't believe how much life was there. Mm. You know, above the surface, I couldn't see all that life. And I just had to take this one little boop, look down and, yes. oh my gosh, look at all this. Yes. I, it, it, it That was it. I mm -hmm. Then I think we snorkeled for like eight hours every day. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm with you on the ocean. Oh yeah. I love it. We were on a family trip one time to uh, Gulf Shores and we... 
did parasailing, you know, where they pull you up on the back of the oh, boat. Oh, fun. And uh, that's the first and only time I've done it. And part of the experience that I remember was that there was the the force of, the of you know, get, being lifted into the air behind the boat. And then it was as if we crossed a line and we were in this almost celestial kind of quiet space. Oh, cool. You know, and we could look down and you saw people playing in the water and saw some of the life in the water too, you know, and, uh, but there was just, it almost like flipped a switch that we got to the next level of, of a peacefulness that was just so beautiful oh. and so settling. So yeah, I just love being in that whole environment. And when you find it, you kind of want to stay there for a while, but yes. you know, mm-hmm. well, can't live up in the parasailing world. <laughs> so here we are in St. Louis, Missouri, thinking <laughs> kind, about being kind at the of far ocean. from the ocean, yeah, a little but, landlocked. But we love the ocean. <laughs> Um, all right, so you are a writer. Do you have a favorite word that you just never really get to use that much? Like, there's not an opportunity to use it too much. Wow, that's a great question. A word that I like that I never get to use very much. I, I can I can give you a mish example. Okay. Mine is gugas, which is like, it means like baubles and trinkets. Oh. I love. I always thought if I ever owned a store, it would be called gugas. Mm-hmm. And it's spelled weird. It's G-E-W-G-A-W-S. But I always thought that was like this great word. I'm like, I, it's my, this necklace is a goo Here's my goo Here's my collection of goo <laughs> <laughs> That's like, I, I just have always liked that word. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Or just that. a word, even if you do use it, is there, is there just a word that has like a good feeling to it or? Oh, can you believe you have stumped the writer? Uh, the writer, I, I love totally it. Blocked but on that's a word okay because that you know you. what'll happen. Mm. You'll be driving home and well, it'll come to you, and you'll call me, and then I can talk about it later. Okay, that sounds great. But but we're as a writer, you love words. I do. I mean, there's just it's it's fun to to feel. It, it, I think it's really fun when you're writing, and then all of a sudden, a certain word just you're like, "Ooh, mm-hmm. I'm so glad that word popped up. This is a perfect word here." Yes. And yes. even then, do you sometimes struggle to find, it's like hard to find the perfect word sometimes. It is sometimes too. And unfortunately with middle age, it's, it gets a little harder. <laughs> you know, I do I have moments where I, there's a word out there somewhere. <laughs> oh yes, audible, that's it. It means I can hear it, yes. You know, so it's kind of sad that way, really. Here I'm being vulnerable, there you go, I'm on your show now admitting <laughs> that I... <laughs> But it happens. with the words. And, well, and there's 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 certain words I wish like like I don't like the word get. Like I, there's always a better word for get. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I I use get in something, but I'm like I totally have to find a different word than get or got right here. Yes. It's gonna make me crazy until I find it. You well, you, yeah, and you know what? There's a real trend in writing right now to avoid adverbs. Really? Yes. Anything that ends with an ly, and the reason is that it often can take the punch away from the verb. Because Ooh. it, you know, it, it's coloring. It's coloring the verb, so the push is toward come up with a stronger verb. I got you. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to play with that. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So anytime you've got an ly on a word, look at that and see how Get you can it. rework it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, in your estimation, I mean, what? Give me some ideas. The best book ever. Like, is there a book you read every year or that you have to touch upon? A lot because you you have to remember something. It brings something to you. Oh wow, yeah. There's so many wonderful name, name some. You know, one of the my favorite writers is Maeve Binchy, 
and she's an Irish novelist. She passed away a few years ago, and oh, she could tell a story. Just, you know, and had that Irish gift of being able to sum things up in a sentence, you know. Oh, she just cool. had a turn of phrase in a sentence. And I'm working on a novel right now. Are you? Yeah, I am. And so I hold Maeve as my muse. You know, I have a little picture of Maeve next to my computer, and I just think of her, and I want to enter into that spirit of warmth and of... Um, and and wit that she had right. and bring that out in my writing. So I often touch point back to Maeve's writing. That's a that's a process, a it novel. Is. It is. Yeah. From a writer's standpoint, I'm ri- I'm working right now with some uh, a wonderful guide by a man named Sean Coyne. It's called The Story Grid and it's uh, helpful in outlining how you put your story together. He's a professional editor, and uh, the subtitle is What Editors Wish Writers Knew. Right, right. Yeah, and so he has become a real touch point for me, too, and his partner, Stephen Pressfield, they've both uh, been really important. So, like, sort of from the mechanics or the work side of it, those have been some works that have been really helpful to me. And earlier I mentioned The Artist's Way. That has been a real touch point for me. Every, In my opinion and my experience of it, every sentence of that book is just gold. Oh, wow. Yeah, so... Well, can you tell us what your novel's about? Just a few sentences about it? Sure, I'll tell you a little bit about it. Uh, the genesis of the idea for the novel came about... It came when I was standing in the express lane at the checkout and noticing what people were buying. And again, it's not the big stock up kind of buying, but it's the, I got to rush in and get these couple of things buying. Right. And you often see a really interesting combination of items, you know, the WD-40 next to the (laughs) diapers with the salsa and, you know, the ice melt or whatever. And so for many years, I would see this and just kind of think, oh, I bet there's a story behind that. And, um, but I had not written any fiction before that. Uh, And then about a little over a year ago, my husband gave me a book called No Plot, No Problem, Writing a Novel in 30 Days. And uh, it's, again, a tremendous book that's been a great touch point for me, too. But that gave me permission to try fiction, and I had never tried fiction before that. Yeah, and so that idea that had been sort of germinating with me about the express lane came back. You know, I thought, what do I want to... What what could I spend time with? And I thought, well, I could spend time with the people that are around those items. Right. And what's their story? I love you it. Know? Yeah. So that's the foundation of it. And then so it's it's grown into these characters that are either customers or workers at the store and what they go through when a big corporate chain comes in and buys their uh, small town chain of stores and the conflict that comes up and how people are transformed in that experience. I love it. Well, what website do we go to to learn more about you? Well, I'd love it if people would look me up on the Huffington Post. Okay. Blog there. And then also my name, Maria Rogers O'Rourke, is my home base, my author site. All my work and material is available there. Well, thank you, Maria, for being here today. Thank this you for having been me, wonderful. Mish. Really enjoyed it. I appreciate the invitation so much. Oh, thank you. thanks. Awesome. Well, thank you all for listening to Mishmash, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>